Our scripture lesson today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 20. Let's share in God's good word together. And now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will ever see my face again. And now I commend you to God and to the message of his grace, a message that is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothing. In all this, I have given you an example that by such work we must support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, for he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. The last time I heard that phrase, it is better to give than receive, was at my first practice of tackle football. I said, in football and in life, it's better to give than to receive. I don't think that's how that's supposed to be used. But that's how I, I heard it from one of my friends who's helping me coach. My name is Mark Foster. I'm founding senior pastor here at Acts 2. We're so glad to see you. It is our joy. We are finishing up this series on joy. How to find it, how to keep it, how to share it. And so um, we're just going to jump right in. Oftentimes we'll do sort of a review, but not today. We're just going to get right to it. Uh, I want to talk to you about uh, one of the most interesting places that I've ever been in the entire world. And that is the Dead Sea. You'll see at the Dead Sea, the Jordan River, it comes in here. And then there's no outflow. It just stops. And because it just stops, it only takes things in and it never gives things out. It simply fills up with minerals. Nothing can live in there. Nothing can grow. Only death and floating happen in the Dead Sea because you just, you just float right to the top. And so when Bishop Tutu um, was reflecting on the Dead Sea, he said it like this. He says, I mean, it just goes bad. And that's why it is the Dead Sea. It receives and does not give. And we are made much that way too. In the end, generosity is the best way of becoming more, more and more joyful. Now, I think this is remarkable, that of all the things we've talked about over the last eight weeks, it comes down to generosity is the one that brings more joy than anything else. And for some reason, this is one of those aspects of joy that we fight really, really hard. Uh, and we'll talk about the reasons for that. Uh, you may have, have anybody heard the, the phrase, money can't buy happiness? Have you ever heard that? It's not true, I found out. Money can buy happiness if you spend it on other people. That is true, actually. So John Wesley used to say, you know, make all you can, save all you can, and then give all you can. It changes the world and it changes us. You see, generosity is associated with better health and longer life expectancy. A quick Google search will give you all kinds of research about the benefits of generosity. But rather than do that over and over and over again, you can, you can look that up for yourself. I want to try to help us receive this gift for ourselves and for others. So the greatest obstacle to, the gen to generosity is what? Fear. Isn't that true? When you see somebody that you know needs help, you think, well, that's not safe. And sometimes it's not. But it's, it's about fear, fear of having enough. We are afraid of not having enough for today. And then when we do, what do we say? Oh, well, we might not have enough for tomorrow. And then we have enough for today and tomorrow. We say, well, we might not have enough for retirement. You know, it's, it's interesting. When I, when I was growing up, and there are reasons for this, but when I was growing up, uh, for my folks who were depression uh, babies, born in the 30s, um, it was always if 
I could just simply get to a million dollars. That was it. If I could just get to savings to a million dollars, then I'll feel great. And then they would save and save and save. I, I grew up in a house, maybe some of you did too, where you never threw away a grocery sack. You never threw away a, a plastic bag. Ever. Because only a fool would buy trash bags. Why would you spend your money that way when you already have them? Well, as the boy who took out the trash, because they leak at the bottom, Mom, that's why. But, so, and that's not to guilt anybody, that's just, that's just the way I grew up. And, and so, but, you know, if I, if I were to say to many of you here, as I've said to many of my friends who are my age now, and, and I'll say, well, what, what should you save for retirement? And you know what I hear more than ever? A million's not enough anymore. You might need two. The market's bad, you might need three. You see how this goes. So you, don't, you think, well, maybe I don't have enough today. Maybe I don't have for tomorrow. Maybe I don't have for enough for retirement. And then now a million dollars is enough. Well, we know that people all over the world make less than $2 a day. This, this is somewhat a unique problem for us. And they say, well, for our children or our grandchildren. And, and again, their study after study after study after study shows the, the detriments of, of giving a lot of money to your children. Unless you've really prepared them well on how to receive that power in their life. It can really blow them up. And I know what some of you are thinking. I won't have that problem, me either. But um, it's out there. Now, here's the thing that I love about Dallas Willard, one of uh, my mentors in my life. He says this. He says, as we mature in Christ, it is actually possible to outgrow fear. Think of that. That as you grow closer and closer to Christ, as you know the goodness of God that we just sang about, you don't have to be afraid any longer. As Paul said, he's not afraid. He wasn't afraid to have a lot. He wasn't afraid to have a little. He wasn't afraid to live. He wasn't afraid to die. You can actually mature in Christ to the point where you're not afraid anymore. To live is Christ and to die is gain, he would say. So Dallas taught me this back in 2009. He says, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I thought about that. Have you thought about your thoughts? It's important. You've got to think about your thoughts. So here's the thing about your thoughts that you think. When, when, you, when I say God or when you hear somebody say God, what comes to mind? What image comes to mind for you? Depending on your religious background, it might be this. Then when you think of God, you've been caught doing something and you're going to pay for it. Because God is a judge. And there's plenty of scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, that say, you know, the judge or, or later in Revelation, you know, you're going to die and then there's the judgment. And so that doesn't look like a very happy judge to me. And that's how a lot of people think of God. And if that is your conception of God, you are going to have a difficult life. You just are. Because every time anything bad happens to you or in the world, you think God's mad at you. And God's not mad at you. God loves you. Other folks see God very, very hands-off. Um, a lot of folks um, that aren't really into theology or religion, they really see God more like a slot machine, right? So they pray, and they pull the handle, and ding, 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 nothing happens. Pray another prayer, nothing happens. Pray another prayer, it all comes in. And then you try to figure out, you know, what is the equation of why I get my prayers answered? It doesn't work like that either. God is always for you. God is always working for your good. Some of that we understand, some of that we don't. But what we know in the person of Jesus, why Jesus comes to, from heaven to earth, is that we would know 
our loving Father. That God is a Father who loves all of His kids equally all around the world. There's not a person on the planet that God doesn't care about, that God doesn't love, that God doesn't want fed and, and clothed and healthy and whole. You included. Me included. And even the people that you're mad at right now. They are included. Everyone's included in God's great, massive love. And if you can actually receive this gift, it'll change the way you live. You don't have to be afraid anymore if you know that God loves you. God has always loved you and God will always love you because the scripture says God is love itself. God doesn't have a choice about this. This is the character of God. God is love. God is light. God is goodness, mercy, all the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control, all of these things, the characteristics of God that can reside in us as Christ comes to live in us through the Holy Spirit. So in case we missed it, and a lot of people have, and a lot of people did even in Jesus' day, Jesus told a story about how generous God is, about how good God is. Now, growing up, I often heard this parable not about God, but to shame people to get going. And that is not what this parable is about. And it's such a joy for me to be able to share with you, if you'll see this through a correct lens, how good God is. And if you're not careful, you'll miss it because you don't really see it until the last verse of the story. And by that time, you may be too freaked out. So let's, let's hold on to this for a second. Jesus gathers people around him, and he, he tells them this story. He says, it's as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents. To another, how many? Two. And to another, one. To each according to his ability, right? So God's not giving them more than they can handle. God's giving them what they can handle. And then he goes away. Now, that's the hard part, isn't it? You've been given all this power, all this authority, all this goodness. But then you don't have anybody to tell you what to do. It's up to you. You have to learn how to manage yourself, which is the hardest of all, of course. You have to learn how to manage what's been given to you, entrusted to you. Now, some of you know this because you've been around here a long time. But how much is one talent worth? Fifteen years wages of, of a day laborer. Okay, now, you can't do exact correlations. But in this zip code, in 73012 today, if you were to extrapolate this out, that would be as if the, the one talent guy, right, got $1.5 million. Now, what would you do if somebody said, hey, here's a million and a half dollars. I know the market's in the tank, but good luck. And then they, then they exit. You've got to figure out, what do you do with that? And so the story goes like this. Well, the one who had received $1.5 million, no, actually, this would be like a lot more than that. I know the, the accounts are like, come on, man. All right. Well, went off at once, they traded with them and made five more talents, okay? Doubled the money. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents, doubled the money. But the one who had received the one talent, $1.5 million, went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Not his money. His master's money. And the scripture says that after a long time, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And that's the thing about investing. You don't know when you're going to die. So you don't really know how much you need for retirement. If you die this afternoon, you don't need much. Right? For you. But if you're going to live to be 105, that's a different story. 
So today, if we were to change this out, in our area, it would be like being asked to invest either $7.5 million to the five-talent guy, $3 million to the two-talent guy, or $1.5 million, you know, the poor guy that just got one. So then the one, what he says, who received the five talents, he, he, he brought those five talents. He said, Master, you handed to me five talents. See, I've made five more talents, 100%, and, you know, ROI. His master said to him, what did he say? Well done, great, good and trustworthy slave. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. And then read this with me. Enter into the joy of your master. I used to just read right over that. But what is the joy of your master? What does the goodness of God look like? What if God really is your master and you can enter into his joy, into his goodness, into his kingdom, which you can, by the way, right, with Jesus in your life? And the one with the two talents, $3 million, came forward and he said, Master, you handed over to me two talents. I've made two more talents. That's good. His master said to him, what? Well done. Good and trustworthy slave. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Say it with me. Enter into the joy of your master. What does that mean? Well, what they don't know and what the hearer is about to find out is that this enter the joy of your master is going to include the master's fortune that he has just given to them. At the end of the story, it's no longer the master's money. It's theirs. It's theirs. Don't miss that in the story. It's easy to miss. Then the one who received the one talent, $1.5 million, came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man. Does this sound like a harsh man? Reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seeds, so I was what? Afraid. And I went and I did what? I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. And his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. He's like, his heart's breaking. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm trying to bless you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to change your life for good. I'm trying to pour the blessing into the world. Now, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow? Yeah, that's why I give away all this money. And gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. Right? Right? So Eugene Boring, who's a New Testament professor, he says it like this. He says, the vast amount of money originally thought to be entrusted to the servants only to manage has now been given to them as their own. So so think this all the way through. At the end of the story, what happens? One is blessed with $16.5 million, right? So he takes the initial investment. He doubles it. He gets the 1.5 from the other guy. He's got 16.5 million. The other doubles it from three to six. And then there's one with what? And why does he have nothing? Is it because of the harshness of God? Is it the harshness of the master? No. It's because he's afraid. That's the only difference in the story. The other two understood who the master was. They didn't understand how good the master was, that he was going to bless them. But you see, the master wanted to bless and be generous to all. But the fearful one could not receive the blessing. Not because God's mean, but because they didn't understand him. How you think of God is the most important thing about you and for the world around you. So Jesus says, as for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness. That's how the story goes, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because if you don't know the goodness of God, life is terrible. It can be hell on earth. 
Because everything that happens, you somehow think is your fault or you're being punished for. And that could not be further from the truth. So again, Dallas Willard would say it like this. He goes, listen, friends, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. And there are many of us in our lives, myself included, that I will say, well, yeah, I believe that. But until I act on it, I don't believe it. That's where our faith comes in. And so we can say, well, do you think God's a good God? Yeah. Well, then are you extravagant as God is extravagant with the people around you? Well, no. Well, why not? Because I'm afraid I won't have enough. I thought you just said God will make sure you have enough, that God's good. You see how this works? It's not do you believe it or even that you believe you believe it. It's actually if you step into it. Because generosity is a gift and a blessing for joy in your life and joy of others. And so Jesus says this. He says, look, friends, he's trying to save your soul. He's trying to give you joy in your life. Jesus, you cannot serve God in wealth. Notice that he doesn't say you're not supposed to. He's not saying you're a bad person if you do. What he's saying is it's axiomatic. You cannot do it. It is not possible. Because wealth and status are not neutral. Right? These things, they're always been about our hearts. And what does God look at? Our hearts. We learn this all the way back in the prophet Samuel as he's looking for David. David's a man after God's own heart. It wasn't about his stature or his skills. So Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one, love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. You just can't do it. And Arthur Brooks puts it like this. He says, look, I mean, some people don't think they worship. He says, everybody worships. The only choice is, what are you going to worship? Right? The only choice we get is what to worship. And again, Arthur Brooks is a sociologist who spent his life's work studying joy and happiness. And and he, he researches this out. So what is wealth for then? What is this power for? Well, it's to serve God's purposes, to bring heaven to earth, to bring the kingdom come. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what this means. So that everybody has enough. Everybody has food. Everybody has education. Everybody has enough. And, and, and sometimes we back off of this and we're like, well, you know, nobody should know the good stuff I do. That's not true. People should not be ashamed by your actions. They should not be shamed by your actions. So if you help somebody who's in need and it would be embarrassing to them that others would know that, then of course you don't say that. But that's very different than not ever letting anybody know how God's working through your life. That's important. That's our witness. And so each and every week around here, we say, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And what's the next line? And give glory to your Father in heaven. You're never to do works for your own glory. It's for God's glory. And that's important. So we use money, love people, and praise God, or... We use people, love money, and pray self. These are our choices. Right? You use money to love people and to praise God, which is how it's supposed to be. But you know as well as I do that there are times in our lives, if we're not careful, if we become afraid, we forget who God is, we forget his goodness. We don't want to admit it, but we have used people because we needed money or we thought we did. And then we maybe even got a job promotion for it because we worked so hard. This is the challenge. And by the way, the first brings you joy and the second brings you death. And you know this. You've lived into this. 
But never, ever, ever, ever forget this, friends. This is why, this is really the core being of why I'm a preacher, of why I do what I do. That you would always know and that everyone would always know that God is for you. God is always for you. God is always for you. It is God's character. And if you will understand that, if you will live into that, if you will walk in that, the world will change. Your world will change. The world around you will change. Because God is and will be generous with you. That's just the way it is. God is and will be generous with you. Say it with me. God is and will be generous with you. And if you look at your life, you know this is to be true. Anybody here graduate from high school? God has been very generous with you on the world standard. Any of you all build the buildings that you went to school in? No, probably not. Paid for the professors? No, probably not. If you went to a state school, everybody else in the state, even those that didn't go to school, are paying for your school. That's how our tax base works. You see, we have been incredibly blessed. And the question is, what would we do with about that? Since we are incredibly blessed and generous. Paul writes to the early church in Philippi, he says, And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And because God will always be generous with you, you can be generous with others. You can. And you feel good about it. You don't know what the, the rest of the way it works out, but you do know this, God is going to be generous with you because that's who God is. So in Proverbs, uh, this has been around for thousands of years, the scripture says, Some give freely, yet grow all the richer. Others withhold what is due and only suffer want. Again, this is back to your conception of God. A generous person will be enriched, and one who gives water will get water. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and will be repaid in full. So this joy of generosity, it connects us to something larger than ourselves, to something beyond us. It connects us to God. Which is why God instructs his people all the way through the Bible and us today to give. Without strings, without names on buildings. To give to God and trust him with it. So in the Old Testament, God's people are instructed to tithe 10% of what they have. Right? Just what they have. If you're a farmer, you bring it all in, 10% goes, and you live on the rest, and you allow the poor to glean your fields after you as well. So the scripture in Second Chronicles says this, he commanded, God did, the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and Levites so that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the word spread, the people of Israel gave in abundance their first fruits. That's also important, that it's first, of grain, oil, honey, all the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe, 10% of it all. But the importance, as Jesus will talk about in the great, great um, Sermon on the Mount, he's going to say, first is the kingdom of God. Everything else is going to be added to you. You don't have to worry about any of the rest of it. That 90% is going to be more than enough. And sometimes people will say, well, isn't that an Old Testament deal? I'm like, yeah, it is. In the New Testament, you give everything. That's how they did it. That's how the church went from 12, you know, to more than half of the world uh, by the time of Constantine in 325. Right? So here's, here's the thing. We can give everything because God has given us everything, and it's all going to be okay. All who believed were together, had all things in common, all of them. They'd sell their possessions and goods and distribute to proceeds as any had need, anybody. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. And praising God, they had the goodwill of how many people? All the people. Now, notice this doesn't say people within their own clique or even within their own church. Because abundant and extravagant generosity is so attractive, people will be drawn to it. They simply will be. You are. I am. That's the way we're wired. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Well, of course. 
Because biblical generosity doesn't just happen when we feel like it. It's a lifestyle. It's the way we are. So for maximum benefit, we need to allocate time, resources well ahead of time. Well ahead of time. Because otherwise, you know, I might feel generous, I don't know, like a day a month. Right? I mean, if you're not feeling well, if you had a bad day, stuff didn't go your way, you don't feel very generous, and so you don't give because you're hacked off. Or you can choose to remember who God is first and allocate time and resources well ahead of time and say, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Now, I'm going to share something uh, with you that some of you know, and I do this as an example, not to lift us up, but to show you what's possible. So many of you know that in 1999, the Oklahoma Conference invested, was generous with me, and said we will give you $75,000 in 99. $50,000 in 2000, and $25,000 in 2001. Good luck. Build a church somewhere between 2nd Street and Waterloo, between the Broadway and Penn. That's it. And so Chantel and I prayed about that, and we said, well, God, if we're going to start a church, we've been tithing. I've been tithing my whole life. And we thought, well, if we're going to ask people to tithe, we should do more than that. So we decided we would give at least 11% or more every year. And because it was planned... Because it was first, because it was unchangeable, immutable, and because it was accountable to our community, not something we did or didn't do, Chantel and I and our family and some inheritance that we received from my grandparents have given more than $300,000 to this church. Now, it took us 23 and a half years to get there, but you can do something with $300,000. Notice it's twice the investment the conference gave us to start. You see how generosity works? Two people that they invested into 23 years ago have doubled that income for the kingdom. It's not something we did. And we would have never done it. And I didn't know that until Jeff told me this week. I was like, you have any idea what I gave you? He's like, sure. Boop, boop, boop. Here it is. Because, you know, because we're accountable. I I know it doesn't really work like that, but that's how it seemed to me. Right? But here's the great news, friends. The great news is that since 2013, our family's not even the top 20 of total giving. There are a lot of people way more generous than we are, have more resources than we do. We celebrate that. Chantel and I never want to be at the top of the list. We'd love to be at the bottom of the list. And think of all the good God could do. So David Brooks says it like this. When it comes to our time and our talents, our resources, they are simply to flow through us, to give yourself to the one who made you. And so today we can act through generosity of time, generosity of resources, generosity of expertise, We know now that volunteering reduces the risk of death by 24%. You want to live longer? Volunteer somewhere. Help somebody out. Volunteer giving is the fastest and most reliable way to improve your mood. You want to feel better? You're in a bad mood? Go give money away to somebody. It almost doesn't matter who. Go to Walmart. There'll be somebody there to take it. Right? Hey, you need some money? Yes. God bless you. Yeah. And you'll feel better. You see, because generosity is a lifestyle of open-handedness that says, God, give me whatever you want to, and I will release whatever you want me to release. That's a beautiful way to live. Where God is in control, you don't have to hold the power anymore. You can say, God, I'm yours. Let's go have fun. And, and if you're struggling with where that might be for you in your life and vocation, Frederick Buechner was very helpful to me and to really probably thousands and thousands more when he said this. He said, the place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That's your ministry. And it'll be different for each and every person here. 
And, and so in case you think, well, you know, I'll get to that. And I hear people say that all the time. Well, when I was younger, I was called to ministry or I was called to do this. And I just never did it, so I'm, I'm trying to make up for lost time. Arthur Brooks, when he starts his classes, when he teaches uh, each and every time, he asks them this question. How many Thanksgivings do you have left? And, and, and for us in our family, you could just even say, how many Thanksgiving do you have left with the peoples that are currently at your table? And for us, that's not many. And it's probably not many for you either. I certainly know in my case, I have had more birthdays than I will have. And so it's important how we use the time. And so I ask myself, will the world be a better place because I've lived? Or will it have more problems to overcome? Which is it? I, I hope that because we have lived, the world will be a better place for our children and our grandchildren. And joy emanates from love of neighbor. That's where it comes from. Love God, love neighbor, and standing with those in need. This last week, we had two mission uh, folks out and about. Ivy is here at SOS, and uh, she's very strong. Uh, And they met um, their homeowner. Um, And this is one of the crews. Uh, And here's uh, Jane with Miss Emma. And so if you want to know who went on the trip, just look for the red shirts. They're here today. So I want to invite Kendall Carey to come up. Uh, She's a part of our youth group. And she's going to let us know a little bit about what they did um, this last week. And, and first of all, will, will you tell us um, what grade you're going into, what school you go to? Yes, I will be a senior at Edmond Memorial next year. Woohoo! Go Bulldogs. Yep. That's one of the things I love about our church is that we have like 12 different schools represented. And you all get together and you don't, you know, you're not mad at each other. You just go and do good stuff. <laughs> yes. Can you tell us a little bit about the trip? Yes. So um, we... Acts 2 had three different houses that we were working on um, split up into different groups. So we were able to interact with three different homeowners um, within the Memphis area. Um, I was working in Orange Mound, which is a predominantly black neighborhood with very low income um, and very much in need of our help. And so that... um, was a blessing for all of us. I know um, the first night we were there, they, um, the SOS staff talked to us about the kingdom of God acting as a potluck, not a soup kitchen. There's no such thing as the haves and the have-nots. It's everyone coming together with your own gifts and your own strengths and your own things that you're good at to serve and receive that from others. So I know that really shaped how I viewed my week at SOS this past week, and they stressed stressed the importance of learning other stories and not judging the book by a cover, but making sure you're reading the pages in between uh, to learn their stories and what we can do to help them. Um, I um, was working with uh, five other girls here at Acts 2. Um, we are all very different people with very different personalities and different ways that we go about life, but we really figured out how to work together as a team. For example, I was terrible at tarping the roof, but Caitlin was really good at that, so we figured out what your what our strengths were and how we were able to work together as a team and to get as much possible work done in the four days we had to 
um, work on those roofs. Like the potluck. Like the potluck, yep, yeah. exactly. Um, so I've known you since you were very little. And, and now you're very tall. <laughs> and so you, you and your family could do all sorts of things at spring break anytime. Why do you choose this? Um, the people that I've met or that I did meet this past week and the relationships that I grew within our Acts 2 group will be is so much greater in my mind than any trip I could go on with any I mean I will be a senior so college is close but I know that these relationships that I've built with these people will last through that and that uh, means a lot to me and I mean the generosity that I've been shown growing up has just empowered me to want to go out and make a difference in this world and I mean, the feeling you get from seeing these neighborhoods and what they go through, but the fact that anyone who was walking down the street at 9 in the morning when we're pulling up in our vans and was asking how we were doing, how the roof was going, and wanting to know about us, and I don't know any of the majority of their names, uh, is pretty incredible and makes me want to be more of a person like that who learns other stories. Awesome. Thank you, Kendall. We all show your appreciation. Can you carry? Now, Kendall is super well-spoken. Uh, there are 18 other students that went on that trip. Um, thanks for doing the senior leadership thing. Way to go. Um, but it was just, just amazing. And so while they were putting on roofs in Memphis, we had another team in Guatemala uh, drilling our 30-second water well. And so, yeah, that's a big deal, 32 wells. Started in 2009, not by me. I didn't even go on the initial trip. That's basically John Hurd and a, a number of wonderful families. Uh, and then John just kept at it. We've been putting in about two wells a year since that time. And, and so, um, you know, just, again, it's a potluck, not a soup kitchen. Everybody does what they can do. And this is why, because we are never more like Jesus than when we serve those who are socially, economically, or po po politically mar marginalized. Right? We, we just come and stand alongside. We bring what we can bring, and they bring what they can bring. And that's the way the kingdom of God works. That's the way it will always work. It's the way it is in heaven, where God accepts you with what you bring and everybody else with what they bring. So you get these little glimpses of heaven. That's partly why we do this work, so you know what heaven is like, where nobody's in need. There's enough. Uh, Mary Clark Michelle puts it this way. She says, generosity of life is stepping out into the unknown, which these groups do every time they go out, allowing ourselves to be displaced as we enter into relationship with others in their space. Friends, our faith is a go-to-them faith. I love it that we have this and that we come and worship, but we come here to go out. That's why we exist. And we do this because not because you know, we're giving some, but because Jesus gave it all. God came to show us how to do this by giving every drop of his blood, that we would know that we are loved. So they keep the cross front and center every worship, every time, to never forget that we worship a God of generosity who loves us and gave everything he had so that you might know that love. That's why Jesus came, that you know his love. And then when Jesus went back to heaven, he sent us the Holy Spirit 
This is Trinity Sunday, by the way, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit uses our generosity not only to help others, but to help us as well. Everybody that goes on these trips, they'll come back and they'll tell you, you know, I got more out of this than probably anybody that I helped. It changed me. And that's just the way generosity is. It blesses others, but it also blesses us. So for your action steps this week, you're like, I don't even know how to start with this. Let me help you. Simply ask the question. When you wake up, how can I give my time, my attention to others today? Now, that doesn't mean you skip work. Go to work. You know, be on time. But there are going to be people there that need your time or attention. And the longer you're at work, you, you know this to be true. If you're not careful, you'll not want to see anybody because you're tired. And you can basically not give your time or attention to people who really need it. Your own family sometimes, a coworker in need. You know, most of the people that need your time are not normally the ones uh, that are in your office chatting you up. They're the ones that are depressed at their desk. The ones that you hope they don't talk to you when you walk by. Because you know it's not going to be a quick conversation. You've got stuff to do. Isn't that the way the world works? Who is it? God, show me who needs my time or attention today. Who needs my encouragement? Or my counsel? Or even my protection? What children do I know that need me to check on them in my neighborhood? And then, this is super easy. Kind of. Simply, in, through your day, simply smile at other people when you walk down the street. When you see somebody, just smile at them. And you'll be amazed at what happens. Some of them will smile back at you. Some will laugh. Some will look down. Some will be like, I don't know what he's doing. Why is he looking at me? And just smile at him. It'll be okay. Because you never know, you may be the only person in their life that even cared enough to give them a smile. Just never know what the Lord will do with your generosity. Amen? Amen. Let's pray um, the prayer that Jesus taught us together as a community. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.